So we're going to start this week with the first chapter in Tanya. And the opening part of Tanya, the author begins to say that when um, we're born, so they, uh, from heaven, they give us an oath. And they make us make a sw- uh, an oath. And the oath is that we are going to be a tzaddik. And we're not going to be a Russia. So it's a double oath. One is what you are going to be, namely a tzaddik. And B, you're not going to be a Russia. And we'll soon see why they're both important. So it's not enough just to be a tzaddik, but it's also important to know that we don't want you to be a Russia. Russia is a wicked man. Russia, wicked person. But then they tell you, even now, so okay, so we got the perspective, you're going to be a tzaddik, and you're not going to be a Russia. So you got your marching orders, right? <laughs> we're tzaddikim, and we're not rashaim. Right? It's clear. You can't get more clear than that. But then they say, even now if the whole world comes to you, that means anyone tells you, hey, you're a tzaddik, in your eyes you should be like a Russia. Now that is confusing. Because on one hand you tell me I should be a tzaddik, not a Russia. So I got myself organized, I got myself straightened out. I got myself focused, I'm going to be a tzaddik, yeah. I'm not going to be a Russia, so I know who I, who I am, who I'm supposed to be, and there's no greater gift than having clarity, but then if someone says to me, oh, hi, nice tzaddik, no, 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 in your eyes you're like a Russia, I mean, right? Now what's the problem with that? What's the problem? First problem, the Altruber says, that if you think you're a tzaddik, how are you going to feel? Great. great. Empowered, right? We're doing wonderful. The attitude, you know, success brings success. But what happens if, God forbid, you're going to think, oh, I'm a Russia. You see what I'm saying, energy? Write down. What does that mean practically? What energy? Joy. Now, since that's going to kill the joy, break the joy, downgrade the joy, we know as a given as a given. Just like you have hands, and you have feet, and you have a body, simcha, joy, is a given. In other words, in order to serve God, in order to be a functioning human being in this world, according to Tanya mysticism, joy is non-negotiable. A person has to always be happy. That's one of the foundations of mysticism. And that's one of the reasons actually most people are attracted to Judaism, and specifically mysticism, is on its stance on joy. Because who doesn't want to be happy? Like to but, dance. But, but not only happy, happiness from within, not caused from an external substance. And there's many out there. So could you imagine if you had an internal infusion of happiness without having to come onto anything external? So that is, that is a given in mysticism. So this idea to think that you're a Russia will downgrade and compromise the idea of being besimcha, and that's not negotiable. So, on the other hand, you can say, well, maybe I'll, it won't bother me that I think of myself like a Russia. Welcome. Maybe it won't bother me. Welcome. So, what does it mean it's not going to bother you? 
The fact is, the fact that you're supposed to be a tzaddik, you're supposed to be a righteous person, welcome, welcome. You're supposed to be a tzaddik, you're supposed to be a righteous person, and here you're thinking of yourself that you're not righteous, you're a Russia, and you're going to say, it doesn't bother me. What does that mean? Because the altar asked the question. So you're going to be callous? You're not going to be uh, sensitive to the fact that you're, the way you feel? What will happen then is you're going to train yourself not, gonna, not to be in touch with your feelings and not to feel your feelings, and that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because we're human beings, we're live people, and you have to feel how you're feeling, good, bad, or indifferent, to know how to deal with yourself. So based on these strong issues of what, what does it mean? I'm supposed to be a tzaddik. I'm supposed to think that I'm a rasha. On the other hand, that might affect my joy. Or it's going to make me numb. We need to have a good comprehension of what does it really mean when we say to be a tzaddik. And in your mind, you should think that maybe you're a rasha. So the altar becomes along and it creates a revolutionary breakthrough in the definition of what a tzaddik means, what a rasha means, and what a benoni means. And this is the foundation of a big part of mysticism, of describing what a tzaddik rasha benoni, and the purpose is to really to get to know who we really are. In other words, like this. Um, the Altari goes now into a journey, an in-depth journey, to analyze the terms by explaining as follows. Every single thing that exists in the world, whether it's a human being, a thing, a place, there's something which is called in Hebrew, and I'll translate, etzem. What is the essence of the thing? So for example, take a human being. You choose the Hebrew term, what's a human being called? We just had it in the beginning of uh, Genesis. Adam. Adam. That is the essence of a human being. He's an Adam. He's a person. Everyone is an Adam of human being. Take for example a, a thing. A table. What's the essence of a table? It's a table. So the essence of a table is a table. It doesn't change. It functions as a table, whether it has legs or it has uh, you know, other columns supporting it. It's something that you put things on. But that's what a table is. A chair, anything, for that, for that matter. There's the essence of it. Then, there's the way you describe something. Attributes of, of, of a person or a thing. So for example, you have a human being. And you can describe the person. He's tall, he's short, he's smart, he's funny, and so on and so forth. The table, it's this size, this shape, this color, it's a description of the table. And then there's something which is called, in Hebrew it's called a Shem Hamushal, which means a borrowed name. A borrowed name. What means a borrowed name? A borrowed name means that it's not the essence of the thing. It's not a real description, but it's borrowed from somewhere else. That means it has a certain attribute of something else. 
So let's say something else, this is what something else is. Let's say this human being is really, this, that's not his essence, it's not really how you would describe him, but he has a certain aspect like another thing or another place or another idea and you're giving him a borrowed name, but it's not really the person. In other words, let's say for example you get dressed up in a costume of a clown. Are you in essence a clown? Is that your attribute? You put on a clown costume, people are going to call you a clown. doesn't mean you're really a clown. You might be, you might not be. But the, the point of a costume is it creates a borrowed name. You're acting right now funny. It doesn't mean that's who your essence is. It doesn't mean that's who you, you're really a funny person. So the altar explains like this, that when you describe the term tzaddik, righteous, Rasha, wicked, or Benini, intermediate. What are you referring to? The essence of the human being? His behavior? Or like a borrowed name? Yes. Well, hopefully you're exotic. Oh, that's, that's your essence. Okay. Hopefully. Okay. Why not all of them? Why not all of them? Yeah. You know? Everything's possible. We're, we're, we're a moving uh, target. We're, we're not angels. Angels, you can put them in, this is who he is. We're moving targets. So, if we would be one thing the whole time, you know what we would be? An angel. But we're not angels. We said we're human beings. Human beings are moving targets. Okay, but the question is what's moving? Is our essence moving? Is our description moving, or is the borrowed name moving? Yes. <laughs> okay. At different times, different ones. So comes along the altar and he says like this. There's different places that describes the different types of human people. So for example, there's something which is called halacha. Halacha is what? Jewish law, just like you have secular law. You have secular, you have Jewish law. Now, what is, we're going to talk halacha, Jewish law. For that matter, it probably applies to secular law. Someone goes ahead, a human being, and behaves in a certain way which is not appropriate. Whatever the case may be, you can think of anything you want in your imagination. And there's witnesses to testify, the person behaved inappropriately, whatever the behavior was, and you're brought to court, and the witnesses testify, and let's even say the verdict is, yeah, the person did a terrible thing. And they give him, let's say, a fine, or they give him a punishment, whatever the retribution is, or the punishment is. Now, is that the person? No, that's not who he really is. No? Maybe, well, by the way, maybe yes, maybe not. It's but chances behavior. are it's probably not the person. Behavior. Now, is it the behavior of the person? Maybe yes, maybe not, but it doesn't mean that's his real behavior. That's his real attribute. It's a borrowed name. Because he did this sin, because he did this crime, so the punishment is X, and therefore he's labeled whatever the label they give him. A convict, right? Uh, convicted. Is he, a, is he a person that's it's a convict by nature? 
Is his essence uh, convict? No. Is his behavior one that goes around all days convicted? No. It's a borrowed name that's used for a scenario for an experience that took place. So in other words, and let's say they'll give him a definition, oh, bad person. Are we describing his essence? No, or not necessarily. Are we describing his attributes? No, and not necessarily. Are we describing him, so to speak, for what happened for that experience? Yes. But it doesn't tell us, any, it doesn't tell us who the person is. Yeah. It doesn't tell us anything about the behavior of the person. So Jewish law, secular law, deals what? Specifically with experiences that happen in a set time and a set place. But again, the key point is that it has no validity to the truth of the essence of who the person is or his real behavior. Could you describe him as a whole day walking around doing these type of things? No, it happened. So you see that according to Jewish law and secular law, the description of what happened is limited to the borrowed name for that moment. Or for that experience. That period. That experience. Correct. Okay. So therefore, when we use the term over there, tzaddik, or we use the term Russia, or we use the term Bainini there, we, don't know, we have no idea if, if the person really is or not. Or a description of the person. Fine, that one act, you're labeling it a tzaddik act, a Russia act, a Bainini act. And a lot of people, unfortunately, because they're limited to the view of halakha, and they use that name to label the person, people get labeled and scarred for life with a wrong title, which is not really them. And obviously, this book is not about describing a human being based on an external um, exter circumstance and an isolated case. We're trying to figure out who are we as human beings. So in other words, when we're saying the word sadik, and we're saying the word Russia, or we're saying the word Benini, we're looking in two areas where halacha doesn't touch at all. That is the essence of the human being on a soul level and behavior. Those are the two areas that we deal with. Essence, soul level, behavior, not experience. Leave that to Jewish law, secular law, let them deal with that. We're dealing with two issues, and that is namely the essence and the consistent behavior of the human being. So comes along the altar and he says like this. So what does it mean, the essence of the human being, being name, namely being a tzaddik, Russia or Benini, or the behavior being um, one called a tzaddik, a Russia or a Benini? Okay. <clears throat> so in order to explain this, the algebra starts off by saying as follows. That each and every one of us have two souls. Two souls. Now, what's interesting is, let's talk about the two souls. The two souls, in general, you have the godly soul, and you have the animal soul. Nefesh Elokit, Nefesh Bahamut. another name would be Nefesh of Kedusha, or Klipa, 
holiness or the opposite of holiness or the shell of holiness. The soul itself, which I'm not going to go into in depth today, but the soul itself, we need another class for that, there's five levels to the soul. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chai, Yechida, five levels. But again, we'll have to have a separate class to go into the, take a journey into the, maybe several classes to take a journey into the soul world. But every single human being has two souls. Two souls. Now, what does it mean, two souls? Soul, basically, is the source of energy that fuels your whole spiritual psyche. It's, it fuels a term that you're probably more familiar with, the Yetzir Tov, which is the good side that we have, and the Yetzir Hara, the evil side that we have. Now. I'm just, you're, you're the two, but is one of the earth and one of we'll, the we'll, we'll, No, you're getting we're all here. Okay. We'll, we'll get to it in a minute. Okay. okay. In other words, like this. This form and one's formless, you mean? In other words, like this. We each function from an internal way on three levels. Intellect, which is comprised of three spherot. Emotions, which is comprised mainly of three spherot. And then the functional emotions, which is another four. So the package of emotions is seven. Generally speaking, we refer to the Yetzer Tov, we refer to the basket of emotions. And the Yetzer Hara, the basket of emotions, knows from the Yetzer Tov side from the Yetzer Hara side. Over here, the altar says that we're referring to not only the emotions, but even the intellect. That means that the godly soul has a full set of intellect and emotions that it fuels, and the animal soul has a full set of intellect and emotions that it fuels, and that's why it's fear play. Because it's fear, it's a, um, it's a balanced war between the godly soul and the animal soul. And I say war because it's a real war. Now, that's all in the intellect and the emotions, which is fueled by the soul. And then you have, which we'll get back to and go into in depth, then you have where it plays out. In other words, you know, where it plays out, the, the playing field, where does it play out? It plays out in the world of thought, speech, and action. Okay, so now like this. So the author explains as follows, that each and every one of us have a godly soul, which means our intellect, our emotions, are all fired up to what? Godly. It wants God, it's connected to God, its whole mission in life is to cleave to God. It cleaves to God intellectually, by studying and meditating and prayer. It it's cleaves to God emotionally, by having a love and a passion for God in a very, very strong way. And that's all. It's like a, you know, a mano, not stereo, mano. Just one connection. God, God, God. Almost like an, actually, an expression that's used, he's drunk with, infatuated with God. Intoxicated. Intoxicated with God. That's the godly soul. The animal soul, on the other hand, is intoxicated with what? With self. Self, self, self. Anything intellectually, it's how do I feed myself, how do I take care of myself, what can I do for myself, what's in it for me, and so on and so forth. Emotionally, what makes me feel good, what am I going to have from it, how am I going to feel better because of it, 
two power, two powerful forces, and they're opposites. One is about God, and one is about me. Two opposite forces. <clears throat> now, when you have these two powerful forces that are basically in the background, we'll go further and we'll come back. Where does it ultimately play out? It plays out very simple. It plays out in the world of action, speech, and thought. In other words, like this. You can have two people arguing how to build a building or how to paint a wall, what color, right? Two people arguing, one says white and one says black. Now, at the end of the day, this is, the wall can only have one color. In theory, you can have a mix. But the reality is the choice is it's white or black. That's the, it's gonna be one color, white or black, right? And one person animally wants white and the other one wants black. So, as long as the wall is still clean and neat, you can put on one color. So you can argue from take to tomorrow, and some people do that, and the wall never gets painted. But the reality is, at some point the wall has to get painted, and one person has to win. Now what does that mean practically? That means very simple. We have, we're, just like the wall has to be painted, it has to be painted a certain color, we have a thought, our thoughts, and our speech, and our actions like the wall. There can only be one thought, there can only be one speech, and there can only be one action. Now, there's war, what the thoughts are going to be. Is it going to be godly? Is it going to be animalistic? Com selfish? Complex. Same thing with speech, and the same thing with action. Now, the altruist is very clear that when it comes to thought, speech, and action, so if we're dealing with the Russia, it's not a question. We know what they are. And we don't have to get into it. He does whatever he wants. He thinks what he wants. He says what he wants. He does what he wants. There's no filter. There's no control. A loose cannon. Now the reality is we don't have to deal with that because it is what it is. We all know what a Russia is. And we don't want to spend really too much time dealing with it because that's not, so to speak, our mission in life. And that's not who we are. Waste of time, exactly. So in other words, the Russia basically, the wall gets painted whatever he wants. So therefore there's nothing to talk about. The tzaddik, on the other hand, what colors get painted? Very simple, whatever God wants. There's no struggle. Whatever God wants. So therefore, what sits in his thought? Whatever God wants. What sits in his speech? Whatever God wants. What comes out of it? Whatever God wants. What does he do? Whatever God wants. Now, here comes the Benini, and that's the Tanya is written about the Benini. Because again, the Russia, we don't deal with it. It is what it is. Until he wakes up, he's going to do whatever he wants. The Tzaddik is almost like an angel. He just does whatever God wants. The Benini. What's the Bainani? The Bainani is one that internally there's a fiery struggle, which we're going to go back to in a minute and analyze and talk about, but I, I want you to see where it plays out and then we'll understand where the, where the struggle is. The Bainani, in thought, at the end of the day, he will think exactly what? What God wants. He will speak what God wants. 
He will do what God wants. No question asked. Not easy to get there. But, but, and this is, where, this, is where, this is why we're going to learn this whole book of Tanya, but, to, but in order for him to get there, it's a war. Fire and brimstone. <laughs> the struggle. Why? Why? Because as we said before, and now we're going to go back to what we said before, that the person has two souls, because he has two active souls, the godly soul and the animal soul, each one have full control of a set of brains and a set of, a set of emotions. So the godly soul has control of a set of uh, uh, brains, has all the logic and all the reason why it serve God and God exclusively. But on the other hand, the animal soul has a full set of logic and has every reason, every logic, why he should do whatever, what feels good for himself. How are you going to make peace out of this? The godly soul has one more step. Before we get to the, to, to the end, we're talking about the, okay. the, the struggle, okay. the war. Let's talk about the war. Okay. Right? Let's first understand it. Let's get into the war. The godly soul has full control of the emotions. It means it wants to do whatever God wants. It loves God. It's in awe of God. But in a real way, in a passionate way. On the other hand, the animal soul, it loves taking care of itself. It's like, it's like mesmerizing itself. It'll do anything to feel good. Anything to feel good. It has to step inside. It doesn't care. Now, but here's the difference. By the rush, as we said, there's no struggle. The animal soul's in control. In, in control. The tzaddik, the godly soul's in control, but not only is the godly soul in control, and here's the key point. By the tzaddik, the animal soul, he killed him. It doesn't exist. So there is no struggle. See, by the Russia, there's no struggle because he totally is not is desensitized his godly soul. Because as you sin, you desensitize your, your godly soul. The godly soul is sleeping, half dead, and the Russia does whatever he wants, whatever he wants. There's no there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no conflict. He does whatever he wants. With the, with the tzaddik, he kills his animal soul. So he has no problem. He's going, you know, he's cruising on the highway, 65 miles per hour, with no no issues, no bumps peace, in the road, and he's peaceful. And he's peaceful. The Bainani is struggling with his godly soul and his animal soul. And it's a real war. It's a real fight. Now, what's, what's the real issue here? The issue is that the Bainani has an urge, a strong urge, based on the animal soul, to express itself. Let me think for a minute about this. But the Bainani doesn't allow it. You know, he, the, the buck stops here. You, ha, you want to fight me? No problem. But we're going to be always neck to neck. You'll never enter into my thought. I'm not going to harp on it. In other words, let's use a, se a simple analogy. Um, something happens in your life. Something, a uh, struggle takes place. You're challenged from your faith-wise. Whether, let's say, someone gets, God forbid, let's say, sick, or whatever it may be. So the godly soul says, oh, God has a reason. He's trying to elevate me through this. He's trying to, you know, pull out from my insides. The animal soul says, ha, you believe in this God? Forget about it. And he tries to knock you down. So, it, and the other one argues no. But the reality is, it could only, it's only an argument and an urge. And an urge. But not where it starts going into the mind. You actually start thinking that. You don't ever start thinking negative stuff. 
In other words, practically speaking, practically speaking, there is no difference between a tzaddik and a bainani in thought, speech, and action. In thought, speech, and action, there is no difference. Where is the difference? Where is the difference? On a soul level. It means there's an active animal soul there that's fighting with the godly soul. So, does that make it the bainani would be stronger than the tzaddik? He can reach higher places because he's flex. He's he's working his Strong. muscles out. Absolutely, yes. In a certain yes, in a certain perspective. Okay. So, in other words, that's where the real struggle is. The real struggle is: Are we going to allow it to penetrate the thought, speech, and action? And obviously, it doesn't allow it. But it's a constant battle. It's, a, it's more alert. He's more alive. He's more awake. There's a fight. There's an excitement. Now. And he has to choose. He has to choose. Correct. So here the altar explains, so who is really the essence of the human being? The essence of the human being. So the altar explains like this. The essence of the human being, there's a clear distinction between a tzaddik, a benini, and a rasha. A tzaddik, the essence of that human being is what? What's the essence? Godly. Godly. The essence of a rasha is what? Wicked, self. Animal, self. self, however you want to describe it, it's clear. What's the essence of a bainini? Life. Life, that's a good term. Life. The struggle. The essence of the bainini is the struggle. The minute he kills the animal soul, he's not a bainini anymore. He becomes a tzaddik. The minute he gives in, he becomes a rasha. But the point, so, so then he gets it changed his term, but the definition of a bainani is, the li- is life, is the struggle. That is the definition of a bainani. That is the essence. You want to know what a bainani is? It's persistent. Life and a struggle. Correct. Life and a struggle. Now, so it's clear. The essence is very, very clear. So as long as you're struggling, you're alive. And you're the bainani of Tanya. And that's really life. Because with life, you can actually grow. Now, what is the description of a tzaddik? Very simple. Description of a tzaddik is he basically lives a godly life. What is the description of Benni? Same description. He also lives a godly life. In, in action, right? Because the description is really how the person behaves. Oh, he behaves like a god. When you describe a tzaddik, you describe Benni, there is no difference. Because you're not describing the essence. The description, by definition, is a description. And the, the Rasha, you're describing someone that lives basically a selfish life. Now, so we know what the description is, and we know what the essence is. But now we're going to take a journey into, into the soul of the Bainani, which in the soul of the Bainani, there's two parts. There's the godly soul, and there's the animal soul. Now, why is it important to know the, the description, because you have to know who you're dealing with. You've got to know what the war is all about. And maybe by knowing the war, not that you're going to get rid of your animal soul, even though it's a great you know, goal to have, but it's not necessarily a realistic one for most people. It's, you'll know at least how to deal with it and how to outsmart it and how to keep it tamed as much as possible. So about the godly soul, that we start studying in depth in the second chapter of Tanya, and that will be next week or next class. About the animal soul that we're going to talk about today.
And that's what Dr. Ray talks about in this chapter, the second, ha the, the second half of the chapter, about the animal soul, what it is. And, no. Does no. it not help with growth, though? What? The animal soul. Absolutely. No one's saying you should kill it. Yeah. It's part of the part it of helps. life. We said it's part of life. Absolutely. Yeah, it helps the baby become that stronger. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. If it doesn't kill you, it makes it stronger. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the terminology. Okay. And everything is an opportunity for yes. learning and growing. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about the animal soul. We got to know what it is. So in order to understand what it is. Um, The author explains like this. Everything that God made in this world is made up of four elements. Aish, fire. Ruach, wind. Mayim, water. And offer, earth. Those are the four elements. Everything's made up of that. You know, when God made man, he right, took the four elements, that's how he made them. He made the physical part and also the spiritual part. But what is the spiritual part of these four elements? So again, we're not dealing with now the godly soul. Remember, godly soul next week. We're talking about the animal soul this week. So let's remember, we're talking about, we're getting, we're going, you're taking a journey, a spiritual journey, we're putting on our masks, right? We're taking a, a dive and we're going in to see what our animal soul looks like. What does it look like? Why? You got to know your enemy. Yeah, we got. You got to know the enemy. <laughs> you know the enemy. You know how to deal with it. That's right. Keep your enemies closer. So, the, so we're going to take a dive into the animal soul. You never did this before. Taking an exploration into the animal soul. So what do we say? It's made up of four parts. Part number one is what? Fire. Physically, fire. Now, fire is fire. What does fire resemble spiritually? So if you look at fire, what happens to fire? It burns and wants to go higher. It changes. Change, but it wants to go higher, right? If you the fire, the fire wants to go equal, higher. Is that equal passion? And the more fire, we're saying the more fire keeps on going. Consu now, consumed. keeps on consuming. It creates its own wind. So according to Kabbalah, what's fire resemble? Again, let's say focus. Animal soul, not godly soul. That's all next week. What is the animal soul's fire? Passion. Two things. One is anger and arrogance. <clears throat> so when you get angry, it never happens to anyone around here, but we're talking in theory, if someone got angry, right? Never <laughs> would happen. And you never. want to know where it's coming from, so you can, because then you can deal with it. It's coming from the fire, physical, spiritual fire of the animal soul. Of anger or arrogance. One second, we'll talk about both and we'll, then we'll deal with the package. Okay. When a person get, what's a second component that comes from fire? Arrogance. When you're acting arrogant, that is coming from where? Why is fire arrogance? We'll, mean, talk, we'll talk about that. We'll yeah, talk yeah. about that. Fire comes from where? The component of, I mean, arrogance comes from, from, from fire. So you have two powerful animalistic traits, mm. which is anger and arrogance come from fire. Mm -hmm. Let's take one at a time. You can only talk, say one thing at a time. First thing is what? Arrogance. What is arrogance? What is arrogance? Aloof. Arrogance, by definition, is. You're better than anyone else. You're better than other people, correct? It's arrogance. Narcissism. Yes, correct. So, what does that have to do with fire? Because fire, what's fire? It's going up. 
arrogance is, let's say, let's say you are who you are. That's who you are, right? Whatever you are, it's irrelevant what. Arrogance is really convincing yourself or telling yourself or telling other people that you're more than who you are. So it's not real. It's not the truth. It's like, you know, for example, we have, you know, uh, the difference between chametz and matzah, right? What's between chametz and matzah? Bread and matzah. Bread and matzah is made from the same ingredients. The difference is that bread rises and matzah is flat. It is what it is. It's flour and water. You see flour and water. Here you see this whole blown up thing. Take and crush it down. You'll have the same thing as matzah. Squeeze out the air. Squeeze out, you know, you'll have matzah. Um, it's a process, but the point is you take all the extras out, all the fluff, you'll have matzah. So what is really arrogance? Arrogance is creating a fire out of yourself, which doesn't really exist. What happens when you create this fire out of yourself and people don't agree with you? You get angry. You get angry. And how could they be so stupid? But exactly. But, but, but doesn't anger also come from hurt? Anger come from hurt. Hurt that no, what? No. That you think that you're more than... than you, no, no, but no, hurt is anger repressed. No, no, no. What, do you, what do you mean from hurt? You hurt, why are you hurt? Why are you hurt? Something someone has done or said. Yeah, you're offended. You're what do you mean? Hold on, hold on. So do you believe God runs the world? So if God runs the world, whatever the person said to you, you're supposed to hear it. I'm not giving a justification for other people to say things, but if you heard something that rubbed you the wrong way, you were supposed to hear it. So accept there's the fact, lesson, accept the fact that God runs the world, God runs the world, and exactly, exactly. He did it for a purpose. So in other words, let's go back. So anger and arrogance come from what part of the animal soul of fire? Now. Once you know that, once you know that, then you know how to get some water, right, and put out the fire. <laughs> I, I'm talking holy, holy water, holy water, <laughs> holy water to put out the, the negative fire. Then you go see a bishop. Huh? Correct. You want holy water to put out the fire, or you put out fire with fire. But the or you want to keep. But the, but the point is, you want to keep the fire of the animal soul down. No, so let's keep it simple. When you're arrogant and you're angry. No, it's coming from the negative side. No, it's coming from the fire, the negative side. And the worst thing a person could do is be arrogant and angry. Matter of fact, according to Kabbalah mysticism, someone that's angry, it's as if you worship idols. So you want to be an idol? As if you worship idols? Absolutely. Wow. You own idol. But it's still an idol. An idol you created. It's an idol, yeah. Okay. So in other words, so if you want to take, you want to know who you are, you want, you want to lower it? You can lower it. Push it. If you want to know who you are, when you're angry and when you're arrogant, know it's coming from the fire. Okay. okay. And this way, don't think it's from the godly soul. Godly soul doesn't get angry, by definition. Godly soul is not arrogant. Godly soul is the antithesis of being angry or arrogant. The godly soul would never get angry. Think about it. If God runs the world, what's it to get angry for? And if God runs the world, why am I being arrogant? Why do I think I'm better than, than, than someone else or better than I'm supposed to be? Peaceful. Correct. Okay. Intent. The next aspect of the animal soul is something which is called having intense um, pleasure comes from the attribute of water. I know that's why. Because when you take water, what happens? 
It creates, it grows, things grow, and you're able to have pleasure from it. Now, healing. huh? Healing. Healing, true. But the point is like this. From the godly soul, where does it get all its pleasure from? From God. The animal soul wants to get pleasure from physical things and things that will feed him and make him more enjoyable. Well, that comes from God, too. Everything comes from God. But if it's about self, it's no good. So, no, no, in other words, like it, this. It's, it's no good, completely no good. No, no, in other words, like this. In other words, like this. Himself. Let's say, for example, you want to, um, you, you're, 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 um, you're hungry right now. You want to eat, right? Why do you want to eat? Because obviously, according to the Baal Shem Tov, there's a spark of holiness in that food that you need to elevate. Oh. So, so therefore, since you're going to elevate something, you're going to elevate a spark. You make a blessing first. The purpose of the blessing is calm down. It's not about you going to enjoy that whatever you're going to be eating. It's remember, you're on a mission to elevate it. So you, when you eat something, there can be two ways you're going to eat something. One way is, okay, you know what? Time, you know, three times a day, whatever it is, I elevate the physical world. I make a blessing first. Matter of fact, that's why, for example, it's the whole idea of kosher. That's why we salt the meat and to take out the, all the, pa- the energy there so you shouldn't be totally consumed in the physical taste of it, but more in the purpose of elevation. So when you're eating, you can be eating to elevate. And if you're eating to elevate, so you just elevate what you're instructed to. If you're eating because it tastes good, when do you stop? Never. Why should you stop? If the whole reason why you're eating so it tastes when because it tastes good, so why should you stop? You should, and people that's why people don't stop eating. However, if you're eating just to elevate, we don't elevate food a whole day. There's certain times a day that we, we're meant to elevate food, and we make a blessing beforehand, we elevate it, and then when we're done, we make a blessing, we close that whole experience. In other words, eating is a spiritual experience. Now, eating is supposed to be a spiritual experience. If you it's kosher food and you make the blessing beforehand, and you have the proper meditation beforehand, and you make the blessing afterwards, that's called a holy spiritual experience in relation to food. That fuels the spirit. That fuels the spirit. But what happens if you're eating because, oh, there's something that really tastes good, and you don't check if it's kosher, and you don't make a blessing before or after, or even if you do make the blessing, but it's all about the taste, how it tastes and how it looks, guess what happens now? You feel the animal soul. Exactly. So in other words, I'm not saying that when you eat, you shouldn't enjoy the food. That's not my point. What I'm saying is that if the whole reason you're doing it is, it starts and ends with the enjoyment, that's not from the holy side. If it starts and ends with the elevation, it happens to be you enjoy it too. Great. Absolutely. We're not saying you shouldn't enjoy the food that you eat. You shouldn't enjoy a holy experience. Matter of fact, it's more enjoyable if it's a holy experience than it's just a physical experience. Because you're adding a whole new dimension to it. You should enjoy a holy experience. Correct. Okay. So that is where water Mm -hmm. creates these pleasures that are unsatiable. Because what happens is if you're just going after pleasure, you can never really satiate pleasure. Because there's no end to it. More and more and more and more, and then you're never going to be satisfied. First, if it's a spiritual experience, no matter what do we say in the grace after meals, I ate and I'm satisfied. Good night. Done. Good night. Experience over. Okay. <sighs> then there's something which is called the attribute of ruach, wind. What does that produce? 
That produces the sitting around and talking uh, empty words or making jokes, I don't, you know, uh, making fun of people and so on and so forth. Laughter, right? Um, gossip. Gossip, right, exactly. All that type of stuff comes from where wind. What's wind? Wind is just hot air. Now, is that, what's godly about that? Nothing. Nothing. And I'm not saying, by the way, it's as bad. Don't get me wrong. It's not a terrible sin, but it's not godly. The point over here is that there's a difference between godly, bad, and the opposite of godly. Now, by definition, if it's the opposite of godly, it's not godly. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. The sitting around, this idle chat, comes from the spirit of, of wind, and obviously it's not coming from the godly soul. The godly soul has, to keep it simple, wants to pray, wants to study, wants to do mitzvot, wants to create a connection with God and other human beings that are connected to God. The animal soul, as we said, it's all about me, arrogance, anger, pleasure, sitting around and talking, even if it's about other people. What's the fourth element? Earth. That's right. What's Earth? Very simple. Stability. Huh? Stability. Water. Earth is... What Adam was made out of. All of it. The component, the spiritual component of Earth is laziness and sadness. Laziness and sadness. In godliness, there's no thing as laziness. There's alacrity. You're running. We're doing. We're going to do a mitzvah. We're going to pray. We're going to study. We're going to make the world a better place. There's energy, right? Sitting on the couch, not a godly experience. And if you're sitting on the couch and studying, it's not a godly experience. <laughs> but sitting on the couch and just flipping channels, that's not godly. That's potato. Potato. A clod. A clod. Atzvus, being sad, is also not godly. In godliness, there's happiness. As we said before in the class. Joy. Godliness is joy and happiness. So can you sit on a couch, flip the channels, kind of be happy and... You see, you said it, kind of be happy. No, we want to be fully be happy. Is there any compromise here? You know? mm -hmm. Is it an all or nothing? Or Gotta you know, be on happy. What channel you're watching? I don't get that channel. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, now, so, so, so far we spoke about, we took a journey into the animal soul, into the animal soul. We spoke about fire, which is basically arrogance and anger. Um, water, which is basically just seeking pleasure for pleasure. Wind, which is basically gossip, talk, chit-chat, nothing, right? And then um, earth, which is basically being laziness and being sad. Those are four areas. But now we're going to go even deeper. And there's a fine line, and that is as follows. There are certain things that we naturally do. There's three components to the Jewish people, which we naturally have. What is that? In Hebrew, it's called Baishanim, Rachmanim, and Goim Lechasadim, which means we're shy, we're um, compassionate, and we're charitable. We do acts of kindness. Now, that is part of our nature. It's part of our DNA. Matter of fact, the way to test if someone's really Jewish, see how he acts. Is he compassionate to people? Is he um, kind to people? Does he practice charity? Is he humble? Right? Is he shy? Then you know he's Jewish in, in his nature. Now, so the author comes with, a, with an idea and he says like this. When a Jew behaves, so to speak, in a 
in these three areas, which you should, because that's what you have, but it's coming just from your nature. It's not something that you're on fire with, with. That's also coming from your animal soul. What I mean to say is like this. The animal soul, again, is not bad. It's survival. It's an engine. But if the only reason why you're, like, you're a little shy, right, is because you're shy, and you're compassionate because it's just your nature, and you're kind because it's your nature, you haven't really worked on yourself, and you're not inspired because, hey, you know, it's, it's God's world. How can I be, what, what right do I have to be arrogant? I'm sure I'm shy. It's God's world. I'm only a guest here. Or I'm compassionate because, hey, you know, God's people need help. I'm compassionate, so you see the fire is there. And I want to help God and God's world to make the world a better place. That's coming from a godly side. But if you're just doing it naturally, it's like almost like you're a robot. Yeah. In other words, it's not bad, but it's not great. It's neutral. So in other words, the animal soul, to, to get a clear picture, is not a bad thing. It's a survival thing. But on the other hand, on the other hand, how to imitate the godly one. correct. On the other hand, if we just allow the animal soul to rule us, we're going to be no. stagnant. Yeah. We need to fire up the godly soul, which we're going to talk about next week. We can take a journey into the godly okay, soul. Okay, so the week after, all four elements also are in the godly. Why, why not? He, right now, we're talking about the animal soul. Okay. Let's stay focused on the animal soul me. for sure, obvious. But let's talk about the animal soul this week. Yeah. Okay, one second. Now, one more point which the author makes in this chapter is as follows. In the prophet Echaskel, he explains, he talks about strong winds, um, clouds, fire, which are very, very fierce. And it's brought down in Kabbalah, those three forces that he's referring to is something which is called shalosh klipotatmeot, three impure um, Shells, which referring to the other side of holiness, that means that they have, and God gave the power to klipa, or sitra achra, which is the other side of holiness, or the shell, which is not the, which holiness itself, a tremendous amount of power. What does that mean? God gave it power. God gave it power. That means it's it's so to speak, it's entrapped in there. You know, let's go try to fight a hurricane. It's not easy. A lot of people get killed, or a fierce fire, right? Um, or an earthquake, whatever it may be, right? So in other words, when it comes to shalosh klipas atmeo, something which is extremely, we know for sure, but the Torah tells don't eat, don't eat a pig. Forget about it. You can make 20 blessings, and you can pour water on yourself, and on the pig, you're never going to be able to elevate it. It's not happening. Because it's part of the shalosh klipas atmeo. And there are many things like that. Anything that's in that world, that's tied down to the shalosh klipas atmeo, the three impure klipot, we cannot elevate. Again, that's not for the point here. However, in the prophet Yecheskel, he says that something, something which is touching it, referring to there is a shell which is not from the three you cannot elevate, but it's something which is from the three that's, so to speak, neutral. And here's the key point. It's, it's not holy. It's a klipa. It's sitrach. It's from the other side, but it's neutral. What does it mean it's neutral? Neutral means that you can, you can basically spice it up and it'll be spiced up. Or you can leave it and it'll be neutral. In other words, in other words, like this: the animal soul is not bad. The animal soul is in a neutral state, and if you're able to fire it up, guess what? The animal soul can be on fire for God too. And when that's on fire for God, now nah, you really got something going. So, in other words, like this: the fire from the animal soul is it bad? No, it's neutral. 
But if you're arrogant, and if you're angry, that means that you allow the fire to penetrate, unfortunately, and to take over in a negative way. But the goal is to capture that fire and bring that fire for a fire for God and a fire for Judaism. That fire that the animal soul has, the godly soul doesn't have that type of fire. It has its own fire. But the goal is to capture that fire and transform it into holiness. The water, same thing also. If you just pleasure of pleasure, so basically you're taking this, this water, this pleasure thing, but if you're taking the pleasure for God, and you're using that energy to transform a beautiful experience for God, now you've transformed it. You took something which was neutral, and you transformed it for holiness. And the same thing with ruach, right, which is, which is wind, which is power, but you use it for something powerful, for godly. And the same thing also with offer, to use it and transform it for godliness. So in other words, like this. The point the author is making is that the nefesh of Bahamut, it's not bad. It thinks about self, but it can be, it can, it can be transformed. It could be, it, it could be, it could be two things, which we'll learn later in depth. It could be basically restrained, and it can also be transformed. But in order to restrain it, in order to transform it, you have to know what it is. So the goal of today's class was to identify, at least the second half of the class, what the animal soul is, and therefore once you know what the animal soul is, now it's very easy. You know what you're going to either restrain from allowing it to uh, uh, take over and cause you to be angry, uh, angry or arrogant or to just indulge in materialistic things, or to just to talk gossip or just to be lazy. But more importantly, now you know what it is, and that goal is to take out the good in it and bring it into the world of holiness, and now you've created, so to speak, a prophet, which a tzaddik can't do, because a tzaddik has no animal soul. Tzaddik, bottom line is, he's wonderful, godly, but he, he can't profit. He, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have an animal soul to do business with. We have an animal soul to do business with. That means when you're doing business, you can lose money when you do business, and you can gain a profit, or you can stay flat. Our goal is to create a profit. Take that animal soul and, and profit from it and take all that powerful energy and bring it into the world of God and godliness. So that's more or less the journey into the world of the animal soul. And this gives us really now, bring it back full circle, a glimpse of the life of the Bainani. The life of the Bainani on one hand has this powerful godly soul that wants to express itself in thought, speech, and action, and does, but also has this urge from the animal soul, but never actually actualize it in thought, speech, and action. But here comes the main thing. Once you know what the animal soul is, can we go in, first is restrain it, and then most importantly, transform it, that it should want God and godliness, and now you created a real prophet.